I stay bout it, I'm not pouting Break through walls and climb it mountains If you want it, scream it loud And show this world what they've been G'day listeners, welcome to the Braintainment Podcast. This show is an interesting mix between pop culture and personal development with a very wide range of guests that come on the show for a chat from the sports space, philosophy, health and fitness, entertainment and everything in between. The idea is to entertain or to educate you guys and hopefully sometimes both, either through just myself or with the guests that come on the show as we explore different ideas and concepts and have some really interesting conversations. The mission with the Brain Tamen podcast is to raise a million dollars, and that all starts with uh, building an audience and a platform. So thank you for tuning in. Our goal is to raise a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and family, and be sure to subscribe. With that said, strap in and enjoy this episode. Okay, welcome back to the Braintainment Show. Uh, today's going to be a very exciting instalment uh, for anyone looking to optimize their life, uh, their physical, mental health, their sense of balance, I suppose, and ultimately their sense of happiness and fulfillment, which in my books is the North Star. I'm really fortunate to be joined by Dylan Ruse to have a chat today. And just to give you guys a, a bit of an idea, Dylan is a certified integrative nutrition health coach and master NLP practitioner. He lived his entire life surrounded by elite athletes within the Australian sporting world. Using the knowledge uh, he's accumulated along with his passion for helping others, Dylan is now a dedicated health and performance coach. So we're going to pick apart a few ideas today. He grew up and spent the majority of his life in Sydney uh, under the guidance of his father, Paul, retired AFL Hall of Fame player and premiership coach Paul Ruse, of course, who we've also had on this show. So be sure to check out that episode. Um, And Mother Tammy, one of Australia's leading wellness consultants. He has navigated the world of high performance um, and understands the importance of setting goals, having the right mindset, leading a healthy and active lifestyle, all components to not only be happier, but to be more successful in any walk of life and increase performance. He's dedicated to helping young boys now uh, grow into young men. We're going to talk a lot about that today and debunking the myths surrounding masculinity. Uh, I absolutely love his approach. It's clear that his heart is in the right place and he's doing some really fantastic work right now. So like I touched on, I'm pretty excited to dive into this chat today and pick apart a few important ideas. So mate, with that said, welcome to the show, Dylan. Thank you very much. Wow, you're making me blush, mate. Thank you. (laughs) Well, mate, just to set the scene before we dive into it, I'm pretty lucky to have you for an hour or so, however however long we have. So I want to extract as much value as I can. Um, But just to kind of set the scene, I suppose, give us a snapshot of your story, I suppose. How do you ultimately end up getting into this space and having conversations like this. Um, yeah. yeah. Tell us a bit about the work that you do and I guess what impact it is that you ultimately want to have with the people that you connect with. Yeah. Yeah. So my, I mean, I've always had a passion for helping people. Even I remember being in high school and we had a, we had a life coach come and speak to us a few years in a row. And I was like a life coach. That sounds pretty cool. Like, how do you like, but at that, you know, 15, 16, becoming a life coach you're like well like what what even are the steps of becoming a life coach like you have to actually go out and live your life so um you can't exactly graduate at 18 and then start telling everyone how to live their life so um that's when i knew i wanted to kind of help people and then from there you know life happened so i I studied sports management um i've done real estate marketing bunch of hospitality jobs worked in construction in california um for me it was always about just doing something like i had to be 
doing something, even if I didn't know what my ultimate purpose and what my ultimate career path was going to be, I had to be doing something so that I could at least tick that off as like, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And I think that's a really important messaging for a young man is because I talk a lot about figure out your purpose, figure out what you want to do in life. But you don't do that by just sitting at home and thinking about what you want to do in life. You go out and live your life. And eventually, similar to my experiences, you figure out, why well, I don't like that. That's pretty interesting. Let, let me follow that for a bit. Oh, nah. And you, you kind of bounce around. So for me, the, um, the, the trigger point or the, um, the, the turning point into getting into this space happened when I was about 21. So about five years ago now, I went through a really really bad breakup with my girlfriend at the time. We'd been dating for about six, 12 months and we broke up and it just, it really hit me for six. Like it was like, it was really difficult. I'd had some pretty some challenges before that, but nothing that really threw me off like this. And so I just did not have the tools at my disposal as a young 21 year old. My family were all living in Melbourne. I was living in Sydney with my best mate at the time, um, Harry Roach. And we were like having the best time ever winning this amazing part apartment. My parents bought me um, on didn't buy me, but bought for us to live in. And it was just great. It was awesome. But I'd broken up with my girlfriend at the start of the year and I was going through so much stuff beneath the surface. But at that age, I wasn't even aware that I was going through it. And so there I was, 21, living with my best mate, going out three, four times a week, drinking a lot, going to college um, in Manly, and eventually, gradually over the years, my good habits started to fall away. So I stopped working out. My eating habits became really poor. I stopped meditating. Um, and then those bad, those good habits fell away and in came the bad habits. So then I was, as I said, I was drinking a lot. I started staying up really late, you know, which meant that I slept in, I missed classes and it got to the point where eventually I stopped pretty much, I pretty much stopped going to uni altogether and I was studying four or five subjects at the time. So I failed all of my subjects um, for that semester. And I remember the wake up call for me was I was in bed for about a week and I just didn't get out of bed. And I remember thinking like, that's not a hangover. That's not, that's not, that that's not normal for someone to not leave their bedroom for, for, I mean, I'd order food. So I'd go and get the delivery driver and come back up and just get straight up in my bedroom. And I was like, okay, that's not, this isn't healthy. This isn't right. You know, I grew up at a pretty high, playing a high level sport. So I was always doing something, always active, always really sociable. And here I was spent an entire week of my life in bed. And I was like, all right, there's something going on here. I don't know. I have no idea what it is. No, no. At that stage, it was like, I've got no idea. Um, and so I went and saw a psychologist and, and so that's when, you know, he diagnosed me with depression and anxiety. And I don't like, like even still with all the work I'm doing and working in this space, my biggest thing for me personally, and everyone's got their own experiences, but me personally, I don't want to let my depression and anxiety define me. So it is just, it's an aspect of me that I have to monitor and an aspect of me that I'm aware of. So mm. I, so as I said, I, I the psychologist told me I had uh, d depression and anxiety. And then that was like the aha moment where it was like, okay, it's time to sort this out. And it, it was twofold. There was, there was a part of me that was really relieved because it was like, cool, there's a problem here or there's an issue here, or there's a part of me that I don't fully understand, or there's stuff that I'm going on. And this was the first time it got brought to the surface. Yep. So now I'm aware of it. So that was like a, that was a really big sense of relief. 
where I was like, cool, there's something going on. I now know about it. Um, and then the second part of that was just like overwhelming sense of shame because as I said, and I think a lot of, I think this resonates a lot with our generation and, and the generations to come because we really don't live overly complicated or difficult lives. We tend to make them difficult and complicated ourselves, at least from a surface point of view. And then obviously every, every single person suffers. Like you look in like the Buddhist um, philosophy and, and a lot of the philosophers of the 20th century, everything's around suffering. Like life is suffering and you need to find meaning, which makes that suffering bearable essentially mm. is like the overarching philosophy there. So, so, um, so for me, it was like, wow, I've had such a great life. And here I am at 21, depressed and anxious. And I was just so, there was so much shame because I had an unbelievable upbringing, went to the best schools money could buy, had a really good group of friends around me, which it wasn't like talking about your issues was stigmatized. It was, it was more a case of our priorities were at 2021 to go out and drink and have fun and, and do things which are great in moderation. But when you're doing it too much, and you're also not looking after yourself is really detrimental. So if you, you can, I mean, you could do both. It's going to be more difficult if you're doing both, but you can still like look after yourself and have a drink and do all that. So for me, it was, yeah, it's about balance. Right. And so, but for me, I had no balance. I had no working out nothing. So there was just that shame element of, well, I had a great family, great upbringing. My parents are still together, you know, went on lots of family holidays growing up. I was, as I said, I was living in this apartment with my best mate, going to college and here I am um, the way that I viewed it was I was a failure. I was, did I was, you feel, sorry, mate, did you feel that just off the back of what you just described there, you had all these things on paper that lined up to a, you know, in an equational sense, a good life, yeah, um, yeah. but you still felt, you know, you felt this way. Is that in large part what led to that feeling of shame? I suppose that you almost didn't deserve to feel sorry for yourself to an extent. Was that a part of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, with, with that as well is, is such a common theme for men of all ages where we say actually people of all ages and especially now that we are living at a high quality of life on average across society in the Western world, um, we tend to go, well, there are kids starving in Africa, you know, there are, which is true, but it, may, it diminishes our own, um, our own, uh, life and it diminishes our own experiences because mm. it essentially says, well, if there's at least one person that's worse off, I can't feel what I'm feeling, which is ridiculous because we're all going to go through things like you're going to have hardships. I'm going to have hardships. And the way that I've reasoned it or the way that I've come to understand it is I can use those people who are less fortunate than me as a way to give me percep um, perspective over my life which is great. We all need perspective, you know, when we're, when we are wallowing in self-pity, it's great to have perspective and go, you know what? I don't have it that bad. My experiences are real. I am sad or I am experiencing this and this, but in the grand scheme of things, you know what? I can work through this and I can do it. And stepping out of that victim mentality through perspective, mm. comparison is different. If I compare with someone else and I say, well, they have it worse than me, so I can't feel what I'm going through. That's You're comparing now your pain, and that's really negative. And a lot of people fall into comparing, and they disguise it as perspective. Mm. And I think it's really damaging because my, if your mindset is, yeah, cool, other people have it worse, some people have it better, 
And that gives me a sense of understanding where I fit in the world and I'm giving myself permission to work through it is different to, well, he's got it worse, so I can't feel a certain way. Does that make sense? Mate, it really does. It's really, there's so much to unpack there as well. I feel like we okay. can just talk for hours and hours. Um, <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. So there's a couple of things I want to look at now, I suppose. First of which is I feel like when we have conversations like this, at least for me anyway, I look at it like this. I feel like we can kind of address people on a, I guess, people on an individual level in terms of some of the challenges they're working through, ways to optimize their life. And we'll talk about best practices and some of the work that you do at the moment. But then there's also this like larger sort of more societal um, problem, I suppose, in terms of, like you said yourself, like you're a young kid having a good time. I've been there. I know people listening yeah. to this show, similar sort of demographic. Um, you know, it's not so much uh, right putting that into the, that's a bad thing to do basket, yeah. but it's like when it's at the detriment of, like you said, your mental health and your fulfillment, yeah, all those yeah, things, yeah. Then, it, then it gets problematic. But that's just, the, that's the norm, right? And conversations around vulnerability, conversations around self-improvement, you know, they at least, to date anyway, they haven't been sexy. They haven't been the cool conversations to have. And um, part of what I'm trying to do with brain taming and the stuff that I do outside of this is to is to help penetrate that um, societal issue. I don't yeah. have all the answers for that just yet, but I think that's what I like about what you're doing, mate. And we'll talk about um, momentum, the stuff that you're doing with the other lads in a minute. Um, yeah. But do you sort of look at it that way as well? You've kind of got this larger societal problem that's yeah. more systemic, and then you've also got addressing people one-on-one. Absolutely. And I think that's with anything you have to take into account the individual, as you said, and how you then fit within the broader conversation and how the broader conversation has really affected that individual. And so, um, I mean, there's, I mean, there's just so much to unpack there in itself, because as you said, the conversations haven't been sexy and I think our generation are making them sexier, mm. but uh, the, the the worry that I have is that, and, I, and I've listened to a lot of thought leaders in this space and a lot of thought leaders in, in other spaces where we're now, so we all have hero archetypes, right? Like society has these archetypes where we go, we, we want to achieve that sort of person, whatever it is. So they're called hero archetypes. I'm sure you've, yep. you've heard them. So like, you know, like an actual hero, like Superman, like there is the beacon of hope for humanity. And that is a person with morals, values and behaviors that we would like to emulate. So that would be a hero archetype. And there's vast majority, oh, sorry, there's a lot of different hero archetypes. And what I'm worried now is that society is moving to a place where we have created a victim as a hero archetype. And it's something that we want to strive to become now is this person is who can complain the loudest, who can cry victim the loudest. And we've now come to a place where, where we have elevated that person to, to a point of hero status. And we, we praise and applaud the people who can become the most offended and the most in their own personal pain. So that's what worries me from the from the flip side, from a societal standpoint. And the way you go, you the way to counteract that is by focusing on the individual. It's by saying, mm. okay, yes, you you do have serious problems. You have genuine issues within your life that need to be addressed. How do we address them and how do we come up with the solutions mm. to address those problems and issues? Not how can I make you feel good about your problems and issues and just keep you there and mm. keep you in your pain? 
that is the complete opposite of where we want to go. We want to go, cool. I see you. I hear you. I, I may not understand your problem, but I have empathy and I sympathize with you and what you're going through. Mm. How can I help you? How can I support you? How can we get you from this place of pain and suffering to a place of meaning? I don't think it's a place of happiness. I think it's a place of meaning because if you're striving for happiness, anything short of happiness means that you failed. Mm. Whereas if you're searching for meaning and you're trying to live, as, as we, you said before the, before the call, this is giving you a great opportunity to kind of look outside of your travel business and go, what else can I do? And, and how can I bring some purpose and meaning into your own mm. life? That's a great way to combat COVID or what we're going through right now is to say, okay, stuff's happened out of my control. How can I come back within myself and focus on what I can do to get better in touch with my meaning or my purpose? Mm. And so that's, that's a way better way through pain and suffering because I'm sure, I'm sure as you'll attest to it, having done this podcast and the work that you're doing now has given you meaning and purpose. It's given you something to wake up and work yeah, yeah. towards and, and strive towards. Yeah, sense of purpose is everything. And like I've, I've talked a little bit on the show previously about, um, I know in Japan, they have this word ikigai. It's just stuck in my brain that um, I find super fascinating. It, loose translation is waking up with purpose, waking up, a reason to get out of bed in the morning, I think is the loose translation. And um, if you actually just, if we just go back to what you were describing earlier, that moment in your early 20s where you sort of, you just can't get out of bed, in large, yeah. there's all kinds of factors. And but I imagine in, to some extent, a large part of that is just like, what the fuck am I doing? Like there's that lack of direction, the lack of purpose. Yeah. And I feel like the conversation around purpose can get too esoterical where it's like, it's yeah. un, it's like, what do I, what do I do? Um, but it's, it's the, arguably the most important conversation to have. So I like that you sort of um, referenced that early in this conversation is having the importance of having that, I suppose. Yeah. So then I guess my question to you is, awesome how do you then start to cultivate that sense of purpose meaning yep. things of that nature if your starting point is is zero if you don't know why you're here if you don't know what your daily activities look like and why like what do you do how do you start yeah i think the key is to the key is to one not let the question overwhelm you i think people think Number one, purpose and meaning is such a big topic that we actually, it's, it becomes scary. And so the majority of us don't actually even address it purely because we're scared that we won't find purpose, we won't find meaning, we won't change the world. And so we just all together go, no, nah, I'm not even going to bother looking at it and asking myself that question. And, and, I've, and everything I'm talking about, I've been through. So I'm not, I'm not on some high horse saying, wow, I live this purpose-driven life and I'm amazing not at all like I am very much having these same internal conflicts mm. and questions around like what is my purpose what is my meaning what am I here to do how can I best serve other people and so don't be afraid of the question and don't be afraid of the answer that's going to come back at you especially when starting at zero right when I was 18 my when I was up to 18 so my first 18 years of my life I wanted to be an athlete I'm an athlete that's my purpose I'm going to be either a professional AFL player, or I'm going to be a professional basketball player, right? And so my entire identity became wrapped up in becoming an athlete. So everything I did was sports orientated, right? You get to 18 or I got to 18, I didn't get drafted. And 
I didn't end up going to call. I had the option to go to college in America and play basketball, but I chose not to. Um, I could have like applied to be like a walk-on. So go and just get there and try to get into the team. Um, and I didn't do that either. So, and then I finished all my competitive sport at age 19. So I'd spent 18 years of my life going, this is what I'm going to be and become. And that's my purpose. And then the next year was like reasoning in a very unhealthy way that that's actually not what I'm going to become. And so my entire worth was around sports. And this is a, this is a massive, this is a part of a massive conversation for men everywhere around how do we value ourselves as men, mm. right? Which is, so it went from athlete, 19 years old, I'm not playing any more competitive sport, no basketball, no AFL, all structure goes out the window with school and sport, right? And so I imagine, Dylan, at that time as well, you're probably, in the lead up to that, you're probably getting accolades for your, I mean, you, yeah. you must have been half decent if, if those things are on the cards. You must yeah. have been half. So I imagine at the time you're getting accolades from friends, yep. um, you know, family potentially like this, hey, you're doing a great job. And then when you lose, and I think that is super relatable. I mean, I had a similar story, not with, not with basketball, but with football. Yeah, um, yeah. And then that identity starts to get yeah. tested, I suppose. And it was when previously it was an easy way to feel good about yourself because yeah. you were good at something and people acknowledged it. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember like I've got so many memories that even as you say, that just stick out where at high school after my first um, game of first basketball, so the best basketball team in the school, you know, like all these people and kids that I'd never spoken to and the, the cool kids were coming up and tapped me on the shoulder saying good game and I'm like oh cool this is really this is really awesome and and we do get a lot of positive and negative feedback when we don't play well but so everything's reinforcing the idea that you must perform in order to be loved that mm. is that is the deepest part of the psyche when it comes to sport is anything you can do it in academics you know those really high hyper achievers everything comes down to well how can i become loved and we realize you know you played sport you said when you're growing up so five years old you come off a good oz kick game or a good junior footy game and your parents are really happy smiles there's love there's laughter you learn very quickly in all that as a child the way that we interpret it is if i perform well i will be loved that's what we're taught now, that is not what our parents are trying to teach us. They're not trying to say, hey, if you don't perform well, we won't love you. Mm. Some may, but for the vast majority of people, parents will love you if you play well, if you play poorly, right? But that's what gets ingrained into our um, belief system from a young age and onwards. So you get to 18, 19, you've been patted along the back the whole way, and then bang, you stop playing sport. It's like, pull, what's my purpose? What am I here to do? And to get back to that first question around how can you cultivate more purpose and meaning in your life? My purpose and meaning went from being an athlete to I'm going to be a sports manager to I'm going to be the best real estate agent in Melbourne to I'm going to rise up really quickly in my marketing business to what the hell am I doing? I'm 23 now and I've got no idea what my purpose is and I'm working in a cafe and then all societal pressures come into play where like, you know, you do look at yourself and you're like, I'm 23 and I'm working in a cafe. What the hell am I doing with my life? I'm a failure. Again, everything comes back to I'm a failure and, and shame and all of that. And so to bring it back to that question on how do you, how do you cultivate purpose and meaning is, is 
don't be afraid of the question and then the answers. And also don't be afraid to go out there and fail at things that you might think at the time are your purpose and meaning. So don't be afraid to do what I did and do what I'm sure what you've done and what those who have incredible impact in the world, right? I'm sure that then they were 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 30, 40, their meaning and purposes changed along the way. And so don't be caught up in having to have the answer at 18. Don't be caught up in having to have the answer at 30. And don't be worried that if those answers do change. Mm. I think, I think um, one, of my, the, my, one of my favorite, favorite speeches is by Teddy Roosevelt called The Man in the Arena. And I don't know if you've heard it. It's, it's to all the listeners, look it up, The Man in the Arena, um, Roosevelt speech and it's turned into a bit of a poem just that part and it's essentially the general gist of it is the general gist of it is there is no glory to be had sitting on the sidelines and judging other people Mm. the the glory goes to the man in the arena who even when he fails even when he stumbles even when he dies has done so knowing he's tried yeah, I love that. And like, and even uh, even saying it, it's not even like the proper quote, but even saying no, it. No, I know. Yeah, I, think, I think you do an excellent like, job, by the way. I love it. I'm just like, that is so it. I Dude, I got like, I got goofies a little. Oh, I know. I, I know. It's because it's, it's so um, encapsulates the idea yeah. that like, if you, you know when you're not giving it a, your best, even on a small scale in a particular skill or performance or yeah. sport or whatever, but particularly when you sort of zoom out on a grander scale, like it's in your life and like we're just talking on this purpose um, theme, if you're not even, if you're not trialing and erroring things, um, yeah. and that's a large part of the process, right? Is I imagine just to kind of like find what works, what doesn't. If you sort of, you know, when you're not doing that um, yeah. and when, and you start to feel like that person on the sidelines, um, you know, not in the arena. And that is, and I've experienced, I know people I've had on the show and conversations off air have said the same thing. Like, you know, when you have that feeling, you're not giving it your best. Um, yeah. It's a pretty flat feeling. And so yeah. it, I like this because it now takes the conversation less from, um, you know, being the best and winning and things of that nature and i got no like i got no beef with ambition and drive i think it has its place and i'm those yeah. things um in large part as well but it brings the conversations more to how can i show up and be my best um and not and actually giving that some meaning so like for me that really means when i perform at my best i feel like i'm in the arena because of quotes like this it's hard way to my brain it gives me an intrinsic reward so the neurochemistry literally shifts when i start realizing that my self-esteem should be and I'm far from perfect in the trenches just like you um it becomes built around my willingness to try and show yeah. up and yeah. i find once you get there it's sure as hell not an overnight sort of flick of a switch but um is that a lot of the work that you do and is that a common theme that you find with people is that their self-esteem and we we're talking about young men earlier yeah. is that it's built around fragile things where if you take them away you're kind of left with not a lot. Is that, have you found yeah. that to be the case? So I think um, when, when you mean fragile things and you take them away, can you explain? Yeah, of course. So, so I think what I mean more so is if you build your self-esteem around something like being the best footballer, yeah. if you build it around being the best entrepreneur, if you build it around being the funniest, the sexiest person, um, I, I would call those things a fragile way to build your self-esteem because yeah. they can be easily taken away. And if they yeah. are, then you strip bare and you're left with not a lot else. Yeah. Yeah. 
So there's two parts to that. There is creating a multi-dimensional person. So don't have your self-worth tied up into one aspect of you. There can be, and like as professional athletes will know, like majority of who they are is an athlete, right? Even when they leave football or sport, there's the meaning shifts from I'm an athlete to what did I learn from being an athlete and how can I apply that to other areas of my life? So how can I apply discipline, um, perseverance, leadership qualities in the business world once I've left sport, right? But it's still that athlete persona. So it's breaking down um, that and applying it elsewhere, but it's creating other parts um, of yourself. And so I was listening to a podcast with Adam Goods on it the other day, the Sydney Swans player, AFL footballer. And I asked him a question around how did he go with leaving sport? Because we see so many athletes do lose that sense of purpose. And it is a real problem with athletes where they leave and they're like, what the hell do I do now? I'm only 35 if I've had a really good career. Like if I have a really good career, I'll retire at 35. That is so young. So you still have the majority of your life to go, well, what do I do with my time? And so, you know, he, the way he did, he cultivated, you know, different areas of his life and he started putting in place towards the end of his career, different things that he was known for, you know, indigenous. Um, he, he got back in touch with his indigenous heritage and talked about that. And so I think that's really important. And as like, when we finish high school, we're 18. I think there's a lot of pressure with the school system to have your life figured out at 18. And I know I felt the same way. You, you finish high school and you're meant to know what's the degree that you want to do, which will get you into the career for the rest of your life. That's the narrative that schools try to push, right? That's dangerous. That's really dangerous. I'm 26 now. So I've been out of school for eight years. And in the last 12 months, I've really cemented that purpose and meaning of what I want to do for the rest of my life but I'm not attached to that. If I get to 30 in four years time and I go, you know what, I don't do this anymore, then that's fine. That's totally fine. I'll go and do something else because I'm sure there will be something else. And that's the reason why I want to move on. Um, so the, yeah, the breaking down of, of different aspects of your life and cultivating the process over the outcome. So you, mm. so you said, you know, how can I be the sexiest person? How can I be the best entrepreneur? How can I, how can I be the best athlete? They're goals that you can strive towards by all means. Those are goals you can strive towards. But if you like, if you fail, will you crumble? Will you be destroyed? Will you not be able to cope like the vast majority of people do? They crumble when they don't reach these high goals, especially high achievers that set massive goals and, and, and fail. A much better way to look at it is, well, what's the process I can focus on to, that's going to get me there? So take the, um, even even the most shallow of those. I want to be the sexiest person ever, right? How can I focus on my health every single day and just be the healthiest version of myself? Because then I'll show up as the happiest version of myself. And, and that will transcend mm. all aspects of my being. That will allow me to show up in my relationships as the healthiest, happiest version of myself that will allow me to go to my job with high levels of energy that I can perform at my best. That allows me to shop for my friends as my best self. Um, when we do catch up and hang out and go for beers or whatever it is, or a coffee or a food, I'm my best self because I'm the healthiest, 
happiest version I can be, right? You might then reach the outcome of the sexiest person alive, right? But you're not going to reach... I probably won't, but (laughs) it's possible for someone, maybe. I don't know, mate. You're you're a good-looking lad. You're a good-looking lad. It's the Um, lighting. It's it's working for me today. That's it. (laughs) So... So rather than striving for even that was the the worst example we could give, sure. sexiest person, right? But even then, if you break it down into the processes, yeah, that's going to positively impact your entire life. Yeah, right. I want to be the best entrepreneur. Okay, focus on the processes to becoming that. I need to put in X amount of work every day. I need to have X amount of sleep every night so that I can show up the next day and perform at my best. You know what? I need to fuel my body so that I don't burn out when it gets to 2 p.m. and hit that lull, right? I need to make sure my energy levels are balanced throughout the entire day. So everything everything can come back to your health, mm. right, in terms of how you're going to show up best in the world. And then you just shape everything else around that. So if it's to be the best worker, to climb my corporate ladder, to be the best father, to be the best partner, the, the best boyfriend – if you break it into your processes, even if you fail, you, and I use the word fail, even if you don't achieve the goal you've set out to achieve, you will learn and become a better person as a result of focusing on the processes. Have you found that, Dil, let's say in the last 12 months in particular, since you've really connected with this sense of purpose, have you found that you've been able to really enjoy the process of learning and getting better and connecting with clients more deeply and adding more value and things of that nature. Have you, has that come naturally number one and two, are there, are there practices that you put in place to continue to really focus on the process? I think that is just so crucial for people to get. For me, it's, it's actually my biggest challenge is focusing on the processes. Like that is, it comes in, it's the least natural thing that comes to me, right? I'm an outcome focused person. I am, I want to make a million dollars yesterday and I want to impact a billion people last week. So for me to, to talk about processes and focus on process myself, it's challenging. Like it's very difficult, but the more and more I practice it and the more and more I do it, the more and more naturally it comes to me. But also the, as you said, the hap, the happier and more meaning I have in my life. So if my goal is to make $10,000 this week, which means selling five programs, right? And I don't hit that goal, but I'm going to feel shit at the end of the week. I'm not going to feel good, right? My nature is, is I want to set goals and I want to reach them. So if I don't reach them, I don't feel good. Now, if my goal is instead to call 20 people and have 20 deep, meaningful conversations where I try to sell my program, at the end of the week, I, that's something I can control. I can pick up the phone and I can call 20 people and I can show up in those conversations and have deep meaning. I might not get the 10 sales or the five sales or whatever it is, but I've hit my goal. I've mm. hit my goal of 20, right? So I'll feel better. And that is that is the difference between process-focused and outcome-focused, right? Yeah. And again, it comes. I, I struggle massively with it because I, I want to impact and I want to do this and do that. And even in our business, momentum with Blake. He's yep. very similar to me. Genoa, very similar. we got three outcome focused people that are trying their best to focus on the processes and that takes a massive level of patience. Does that then mean that you're more equipped and certainly empathetic, I guess, when you do connect with clients um, 
that you can, un- whether it's that particular challenge that they're faced with, like they're too outcome focused, these be the process, but yeah. that allowed you then to be, yeah, more understanding with people when they come to you and say, Dill, mate, here's my problem, but I'm, and I'm sure you've heard this because I've fucking said this a million times in my life and it's such a limiting belief, but hey, I'm just this way. I'm just wired this way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how, how do you, because I, oh, yeah, I'll let you share your thoughts on that. All I'll add is this. I think that there is a balance of nature and nurture. And yeah. I think, you know, to some extent there is hereditary plays a role, like your hereditary wiring. Um, yeah. But then there's obviously so much you can do and all this new science and neuroplasticity that's coming yeah. out is super exciting. Um, but how do you find that balance of helping someone through those limiting beliefs, I guess is yeah. what I'm asking. Such a good question. And there's like 85,000 ways to answer it. Um, so there is, the, the more and more research I do, the less and less, or the more and more I understand that we have so much of the way that we make decisions um, are hardwired into us, right? There's that. Then there's every decision we make, every negative decision, right? You look at addiction, you look at the people that study addiction. And this was big for me too, because I had a very narrow-minded view on on drugs. I've never done drugs personally. And I had a very narrow mind of like, you know, drugs are for loot. Like I couldn't have a worse view on drugs. And the more and more work I did on addiction and started to study it more, the more I was like, okay, I understand this a little bit more. And it's a great way to understand the human psyche, which is for every decision we make, even if it's a negative decision that re- like, like taking drugs consistently has very negative outcomes but every decision serves us in a positive way. Every, every decision we make serves us in a positive way. So when someone comes to me and says, it's just the way I am, it's about breaking down, well, what does this negative behavior decision, how does it positively impact you? And then having them look at that and go, okay, um, the reason I binge eat when I get home at night is because I've had a really stressful day and it makes me feel amazing okay, we've gotten to understand the positive, like what you get out of holding on to this behavior. Mm. So, so it's not necessarily, it's just the way you are. It's just that this is a really strong desire. And, and it is, that's a strong desire. Like who doesn't want to be de-stressed and feel good. Yeah. Um, They're just the trying the to change this right? state. Yeah. And we all, you know, have different vices and, exactly. or, and, ways that we go about achieving a particular state and and for some people in that example maybe it is just like hey here's just an easy way that's worked for me in the past where i can quickly yeah. change my state from really shitty to just yeah. even if it's momentary feeling yeah. a lot better yeah and that's what gabor mate says in his book the quote is something around the lines of every addiction is just a poor coping mechanism for pain and that's essentially what it is right even like think of any of your personal experiences where you're trying to break a bad habit, the bad habit serves you in some way, even smoking. The, for me personally, the dumbest thing a human can do is smoke. Like there's just no benefit to it, but you break it down. The benefit is I feel de-stressed, right? A lot of people smoke to de-stress. Now there, the way is you break that down, you go, this is what it's possibly doing. How can we bring in good habits and behaviors and slowly phase out the negative ones so that in 12 months, everyone wants to do it in 30 days, 30 days to better us, 30 days to this, 30, you know, 60 days to yeah. being the sexiest man alive. It's like, 
let's look at it from a 12 month point of view. If you're smoking a packet a day, how can in a month's time, we can reduce that by one cigarette a day? That's a win. Like that's, that's better than you were a month ago. Mm. And there's a great book called Atomic Habits. And it's all about 1% um, differences in your life, 1% positive differences in your life, right? How can I in 12 months time become 1% better, right? Or how can I enact small changes in my life that are going to make me um, that idea of who I want to be in the future? And there's another quote. Sorry, go on. That's James Clear, that book, yeah? I think that Atomic Habits. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, really good read. Um, Yeah, I feel like... What we see, I just so you do a lot of work in the health space as well, right? So like working on the body and fitness and things of that nature. So I think um, people have a pretty good understanding that you know if you're horrendously overweight or unhealthy at this moment in time, it's one week of even the best exercise and the best diet. One week of it um, is not going to shred a hundred kilos and turn you into said sexiest person alive, Rob. there's, so there is the variable of time and yeah. deliberate practice, right? Yeah. Over, yeah. Have you found, and this is like a really key point I like to kind of sort of share, I suppose, because I don't have all the answers for it yet and I want it for myself, is is time and, de- and continued deliberate practice just as important variable when it comes to, I guess, less tangible things, but arguably more important like identifying and cultivating uh, cultivating a sense of purpose like um uh feeling calm and we'll talk about meditation in a moment but things like that um do you find that people want it now and they overestimate what they can do in a month and they underestimate what they can do in a couple of years Uh, absolutely yeah and that's actually funny i was just about to say the quote from some billionaire was we we vastly overestimate what we can do in 12 months and vastly underestimate what we can do in five years. Mm. And so it's true. Everyone wants, everyone wants it now, right? We live in a society where if I want to eat something, I can get on my phone and in 20 minutes food will be here. Like that's amazing. That's an amazing concept, right? But it, it shortens our attention span and it makes us want that in every area of our life. And so it's not necessarily time. It's the consistent act of doing it. So rather than how long and that's what james clear talks about in the book is rather than you know 30 days to good habits it's how many times have you done that good habit in those 30 days will cement it so it, it it's it's like splitting hairs but it does make it does make sense in, in the grand scheme of things of okay you want to lose weight right over 30 days if you stick to a certain diet a nutrition plan that your coach has given you or you've researched it yourself whatever right? If you consistently stick to a daily plan for 30 days, so you do it every single day for 30 days, you will be better off than someone who does it five out of seven days of the week. So gets to the end of the 30 days and there's only done it 24, 23 times, right? That's, and that's pretty simple, right? So if you can consistently make small changes over a really long period of time versus someone who makes massive changes over short periods of time, and then they give up, which is what the vast majority of people do. You know, like I want to lose weight. So I'm going to lose four kilos in four weeks and I'm going to do make 10 different changes to my lifestyle and I'm going to hit my goal at the end of the month, right? But then that was really difficult. So I'm going back to my old habits and my old ways and I'm going to put the weight back on and then some for the next month, right? Versus someone who goes, I'm going to make one small change over six months 
and they get to the end of the six months and they're four kilos lighter. And then they keep those habits in place so that another six months goes by and they've lost another four kilos. And it's easy. Like that person would look at you and go, yeah, it was really easy. Like I lost eight kilos in 12 months. It was super easy versus someone who yo-yos a lot and goes really hard and then puts on weight. And then this is really hard and then puts on weight. And then this is really hard and puts on weight. So small changes are, are really important and people do undervalue that they really undervalue it me, me me too like again i am the same as the, the people i'm talking about is me i'm hey, we're in the trenches is like my yeah. catchphrase of this yeah. fucking show I'm, I'm like, there with you. we're in the trenches and yeah. we're sort of sharing um sort of this natural drive to want to contribute and help yeah. the greater society right i think it's a human Absolutely. drive so it's like here we are just sharing our learnings and you've put in the work you've, you've got your own story and um that's why it's really good to just pick apart like okay what have you found like what's been this what's been you know, what's worked what hasn't yeah. um and yes. again i think it plays into the outcome if you're too outcome focused you're going to want it sooner whereas if you just enjoy the process as you said yeah it'll just it, it'll come the outcome will come dad's got a great saying around like you know the scoreboard will worry about itself yeah if you spend an entire game of football looking at the scoreboard you'll lose like you, you're gonna lose yeah. if you spend the entire game of football just playing the game of football Chances are you're going to have you will you'll definitely be better off than the person who stares at the scoreboard. Yeah. But chances are, if you've got good processes, you will win at the end of the game. And if you don't, you just go back and you look at the processes again. So hmm. that's super important. Is that the same then? Okay, so I, I, well, so that's a really easy concept to grasp, right? Like if you look at the scoreboard too much, you're distracted from the game, and it, it stops you from being in that state of flow. Right, where you where your optimal performance and you execute as you know as best you can, and you know um, twenty two players do that in a game of footy, you win the game, right? So, is that though, like, does does that same principle apply to say? I'll give you a specific example. Let's say someone I come to you and I'm, I'm like, Dill, my identity is that I'm not confident. Um, I have issues from my childhood, some traumatic stuff that went down. I have, I'm constantly, what, so things, things where self-esteem is really uh, involved. Yeah. Is it the same process of, um, you know, whether it's through affirmations, meditation, like showing up the best version of yourself, doing hard things, having bright lines, like we'll talk about best practices in a sec, but is that, does that same principle apply where deliberate practice showing up and just, kind of staying in the moment instead of checking in and going like the scoreboard checking and going, do I love myself yet? Does that yeah. kind of make sense? And I, cause I, yeah, I feel like I get stuck sometimes in my own journey where I'm trying to become, you know, in so many ways, I'm super, super confident, but in so many others, I'm really not. And like all of us, we've got our own vulnerabilities, but those areas that I'm not, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly just checking in. Like, am I, have I fixed this yet? Oh, I haven't. Instead of just doing the right things, doing the right things and enjoying that process. Yeah. I think you've, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Like no matter what it is, you, your self-love, self-esteem, um, being a, being a better partner, being a better dad, being a better brother, whatever it is, if you're, if there is, there is a place for it. Again, there is a place for goal setting. There is a place for check-ins and I'd recommend putting structure in place. So that's what, that's what I'd recommend. I'd say, I'd say put instruction in place where once a week you do an audit of your week, right? Or you do something where you do check back on yourself and you can keep yourself accountable. That's important. That, that definitely has a, has a place. But 
I think on the self-esteem and the and and loving yourself better, what I found has helped me is or, or what's really been detrimental to my own self-esteem and self-worth is when I set again, when I set big goals and I don't reach them, or even when I tell myself small things like I'm gonna get up early in the morning and I don't. Yep. Every time we do this, we're essentially lowering our self-esteem because we're saying, I can't keep promises to myself. And then that thought goes to, well, I can't keep promises to myself. I'm not, I'm not worthy. I can't trust myself, you know, and it just snowballs into, well, now I'm not worthy or now I'm an idiot or now I'm a failure. So there is a very practical and a very self-serving reason for setting smaller goals. Because if, so if my, if I wake up and my goals are to make my might make my bed, get up five minutes earlier, drink a glass of water first thing in the morning um, and do five minutes of meditation. Like let's say someone's starting on zero and those are their four goals. Let's say they wake up normally at eight. So they have to set their alarm for 7.55. That's achievable. They have to make their bed very achievable first thing in the day. Glass of water, again, night before, pour yourself a glass of water, leave it on your bedside table and then meditate five minutes. You do that consistently for 30 days, your self-esteem will go up as a result because you've done the things you told yourself you would do. Mm. Someone else who sets the bar just a little bit too high and doesn't do them gets to the end of the month and they may have done more than that other person, but their self-talk is, I didn't do the things I told myself I would do. I'm not worthy, I'm a failure, right? Mm. Versus someone who's done less but has done the things that they told themselves they would do has now better self-esteem as a result. So self-talk, you mentioned affirmation, self-talk is so important. And it's kind of starting to make its way into the mainstream media. But I think still for the average person and especially the average bloke, we don't understand the importance of self-talk. We don't actually realize that, no, that is impacting your daily life on a massive scale. Well, I think there's something like, there's like a drive to acting congruence with how we see ourselves. Yeah. And so unless it's hard to change behaviors until that has shifted. And so I feel like there's two ways to do that. One is just through like constant learning and like like shifting your mindset that way, which is super important. Um, But then there's also like really practical ways. Like you said, something as simple as setting three or four things that are important to your health, number one, but also that um, are e- easy to do, but easy not to do. So like making your bed, having a glass of water and then meditating for just five, everyone's got fucking five minutes in their day. Doesn't yeah. matter how busy yeah. you are. And if you don't, then you probably need it more than most, right? So we'll talk about that soon. Yeah. You need to do 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, you can't fuck down. Um, <laughs> but uh, so the point I wanted to make was those few things are, are, are an easier way and a tangible way to start manipulating and shifting that dialogue um, through your actions, right? Because you then start to go, hey, I'm, I'm the kind of person that sets goals and achieves them. I'm the kind of person that does what I say I'll do. And you, yep. and you really optimize that. I guess the re- reputation you have with yourself is what I talk about a lot, right? So, yep. and that should be, even though it's not at the moment for the greater society, but it should be what matters most is your perception yep. of and relationship with yourself. Yeah. yeah. A great exercise, super simple that everyone can do is make sure you've got like an hour, right? Give yourself time and space. Go sit in your favorite spot, whatever, with a notebook. Do whatever you need to do to just calm, 
get rid of your phone, no distractions for an hour, right? And sit with your own thoughts and, and write down the belief systems you have about yourself on one side of the page. So write down all of them, positive and negative. And you'll find a lot more are negative than you're aware of, right? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of love. I am not worthy to be successful. Um, I'm... I, I set goals and I don't achieve them. I, like whatever they are, even the positive ones. I am a good partner. I'm a good, whatever. Really sit there and take the time to do that. And then on the other side of the page, write the new belief systems that you would like to have and read those new belief systems every day, mm. right? And start to ingrain. Again, I'm if you're someone who doesn't achieve goals or sets goals or is disorganized or something like that, write out the new belief systems and go, I am a person who sets goals and finishes them, right? And then off the back of what we've just been talking about, set your goals just that little bit easier. If, if you struggle with hitting your goals, set them a little bit easier. And you will find over time with that practice of reading the belief systems and then doing what you say you're doing. There's a massive conversation that isn't being had around why should we be, um, why should we have integrity in our lives? And everyone talks about be, have integrity for others. Like, you know, you for the greater good. No, no, no. You need to have integrity for yourself because at the end of the day, you know exactly what you did that day that was right and wrong. And you are on a subconscious level killing yourself as a result. Yeah. And that's where our negative um, limiting beliefs stem from. You know, if we think we're not successful, how that shows up in our life is we're, we're, undeserved, we're undeserved of success. And then if my behaviors... I don't agree with on a subconscious level, even consciously. I do. I cheat on my partner. Um, you know, I do things that aren't in alignment with me. My subconscious will self-sabotage. Like it will go. I will. I will on a. Like if if I'm doing something that I know is wrong, and I think I need to deserve bad karma for doing that, even if I wasn't caught or whatever, you're gonna go out and do things that are gonna self-sabotage because of these negative things that you're doing. So integrity should be a self-serving thing. You should want to show up in the world as the best version of yourself for yourself so that you can then, like it's like a circle, so that you can then present a better version of yourself each and every day. There's a lot yeah. for that. There's Mate, that's, that, no, it's huge. But, it's so powerful yeah. and you're right. It is a conversation needs to be really prevalent is like having that sense of integrity for yourself because- for yourself. And then like, I'm sure everyone to some extent who's listening or watching can relate. Like when you show up in the world in a way that's not congruent with who you would like to be on a small, at, at best, it's, oh, you sort of know at worst, it can be really fucking sinister over an extended period of time. And that's when you yeah. start leading towards really bad mental health challenges. Yeah. In, I mean, obviously there's a slew of reasons and a myriad of factors that, that go into that. But one of the big ones is um, consistently being someone that you just don't want to be. And it goes back to, you know, societal pressures. And I want to bring the conversation back to the fellas for a second. We've got women, men, women are listening to the show, but um, you do a lot of work with guys. I want to close it out because yeah, for me, again, I'll, I'll share a bit about my story. The, the more work I did when I fell into that depression and anxiety, it was that that was actually really killing me. I acted in a way within my relationship that, so completely went against my own self-image that it very nearly destroyed me. So these aren't small concepts we're talking about. And no. as you just said then, 
around on a on the worst like on the worst possible scale or on a grand scale it can be really detrimental. yeah like that almost destroyed me not acting in a line with who i think i am it on a really bad level and in big actions and in big decisions and in ways that you really don't think that you will act it's actually one of the leading causes of ptsd for returning soldiers is not what they've seen other people doing it's what they've seen themselves doing that they did not think they were capable of doing mm-hmm. that's that's what leads to the ptsd it's and it's not necessarily that if there are any soldiers listening it's not that they've done anything bad it's just they never thought they had the capacity to do such damage or evil or or even if it's good but looks like evil to themselves right so that's what leads to ptsd and that was massive for my depression and anxiety was like wow i really acted in a way that i did not not in a million years did i think i could act like that and that's what really threw me and almost destroyed me so then why did you act like that deal like what makes people if it's so intrinsically um, depleting sometimes and like there's like that angst that comes with that, like we've just spoken about, why do, why do we still do dumb shit? Um, And before we go too narrow on the, you know, the the gender specifics, I guess there's a broader conversation. Like what are, what are are some of the problems that you see um, that may, that I guess catalyze people into making these decisions to just continually show up and be the wrong person? Yeah. Like social media is probably one. Like the social, yeah. I've heard you talk about the social media comparison game. There's yeah. like expectations on women just as much as there is on men. Like, what are some of the let's, let's list a few and sort of put it out in the open, then we can start picking them apart. So I I think there's a couple of things that come to mind when I when I hear that question because it's a it's a really good question. I think our ego drives a lot of what we do. So our and our ego's main component is to keep um, is to keep ourselves alive. That's right. Our evolutionary process has, has gotten us to a place now where there's not much that um, that's actually threatening our lives. So it actually works really against us at the moment where we are now in society. So for me personally, the once you do one bad thing, you're going, your ego is going to reason to you why it's still in alignment with that person that you think you were. And the reason we do bad things often comes to a lack of self-awareness and a reaction to a highly emotional um, stimulus, right? And it's why self-awareness and cultivating self-awareness and continually practicing till you die self-awareness is so important because if I people will continually do negative things that impact themselves if they are unaware of them. They'll continually do it if they're unaware that it's negative. So you need to become aware that it's negative for you to make any changes. And so I think that's essentially why a lot of people continue to do bad things is we're unaware of them. And we also back to what I said before is we, we place a lot of value on the positive thing that that behavior gives us. Mm. And we're unaware of the negative thing that it's actually, actually giving us. And so that's what drives a lot of discontinued decision-making. And, and again, when I became aware of it, it almost destroyed me. So why would I want to become aware of it? Like I have a strong desire to continue believing my ego. I have a really strong desire. It's if I accept that as truth, it might kill me. So I don't want to accept that as truth. 
so then the question becomes, well, why do we want to accept that as truth? Or why do we want to do this work that we're doing? Like why Dylan, if it almost kills you, why even accept like, well, because I'm, I am a million times better person I am now than I was at 2021. Mm. And that's ultimately why we want to do the work is so that we can become better versions of ourselves. So it's like going through those growing pains almost to then ultimately sort of start to, you know, dare I say it flourish. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There is probably that period of time where it's like almost exponential where it's like fucking painful. Not a, not a, not a lot of better. So the start, yeah, yeah right down that way, and then back Pan, up. Pan, Pandora. I call it Pandora's box. Once you open it, you now have to commit to doing the work. Otherwise, like if you open the box and then you're like, "No, nah, I don't want to do this," you'll stay here. So you have to do this, and it might look like this <laughs> before you get to plateau and come back up. But on the flip side, once you've made that curve and you start going up, rather than being here, you'll be here. So there, there is once you can rationalize and understand. And it's incredibly difficult. And like, I'm so thankful for having some of the people in my life right now because without them, I would not want to continue to do the work. Like it's just, it wouldn't be, it would be very difficult to do the work alone. So So then just on that, actually, I want to talk about um, environment and people around us. So yeah, continue on that thread about the impact that having the right people in our lives can have and what you think some of the conversations should be with, with people that are close to you. Yeah. So I mean, again, using my own personal experience, go back to when I was 2021, 20, I, I had great friends in my life. I love them. I'm not as close as I am with them now, but I still have nothing but positive things to say about them. I love them. I grew up with them and I love them. But I was drinking a lot because that's what they were doing and they were drinking a lot because that's what I was doing. So those are the people in my life. So I'm going to do what they're doing. Now, when I moved to Melbourne and I got out of that and I didn't really, I didn't even have a real support network. It was mainly my family. I had the time and space where I removed myself from, I literally couldn't do the bad habits. I removed them. Like I I couldn't go and do them or they were really not appealing for me to sit alone and drink by myself. Right. That's not, to me, that's not appealing. I like it for the social aspect. So you remove, I completely removed the desire to do these bad habits. And then I was forced to sit in whatever I was left. Right. And so now the people I have around me encourage the work they're very Mm. much like hey mate how are you going and they mean it and i know that they mean it because if i show up half assed and i say yeah mate i'm good like how are you they're going to be like nah bullshit how are you going what are you what's going on in your life and like give give us a detailed response none of my friends now today will, will will accept a good answer like a good fine it has to be like even if I am good, it'll be like, yeah, man, I'm good. I'm loving it. I'm, I'm on a podcast today with Lee, fuck, cool bloke. We talked about this and they're like, that's the answer. They'll accept them like, cool, okay, you are good. Yeah. So the people are so like, environment is the single most important, one of the most important things you can do and your environment will dictate whether or not you succeed or you or you fail. The, the cliche is the five, your five closest friends, um, if your five closest friends are doing X, the sixth person, sixth person being you are also doing X. Like that yeah. is, that is essentially what you'll be doing. You'll be doing exactly what the five closest people to you are doing. And so if you have five mm. people who are working on themselves um, daily, yeah. you're going to want to do that too, because that's what they're doing. Like Man, you- I, I couldn't agree more. And I find that like, um, you know, I grew, as you would attest to, like, I grew up in a footy culture, so I got no beef with like having a beer, having a good time. I got yeah, no issue with that at all. Um, 
And I love being Australian. I love the Aussie laid back culture. I actually had um, Hugh Van Kolenberg on the show recently oh, yeah. uh, from the Resilience Project. Yeah. And we're talking about, we're talking about this idea of just, you know, the, the average Aussie bloke um, being, you know, quote unquote laid back and chill and all these things. Yeah. I think Australia is the second most medicated country in the world for like mental health issues or something. It was like, it's right up there anyway. Per capita. Per, yeah. yeah. Per capita. I think it would be. So I guess like, so I guess I got no beef with it, but man, like when you're, when you're in a position, if you actually zoom out and look at it logically and you're, let's say you feel a bit like, and you're just drinking for the sake of it, just cause that's what you do in that, in that environment. Like, it's just fucking stupid. Like if you really think oh, about I agree. it, I, um, I, agree. I got, I get it. Like I get the appeal of having a good time and, and things like that. So um, I'm trying to sort of, and I think this is what I fucking love with your approach still and, and the work you're doing with the other lads with momentum. And that's kind of where I, where I want to round things off is this, is this space you're doing for guys um, is I guess bleeding these sort of conversations into the, into culture. Yeah. Right. Like there's no, there's no, there is no reason why having deep and meaningful conversations can't become a part of your daily, weekly life. It's energizing. It's mate. It's so, it's so good. It's the best thing ever. Like, and it's, it takes more people talking about it. And it, and I think, and I think without like not coming from a place of arrogance or like, look at me or look at us at momentum, but we are three average Aussie blokes that grew up playing sport, talking to girls, drinking beers, and and we're telling other guys and we're showing it ourselves that this is what we need to be doing. And so, I mean, one of our biggest strengths is that we are. We are just average Aussie blokes like yourself. We love footy. We're not going to say don't drink. We're not going to say don't have a pie. Don't go to the footy. Toxic masculinity, like all that conversation is rubbish, right? It's about integrating the positive aspects that we've been neglecting into our life to enhance those abilities, right? We all know... The, the mate that gets drunk too quickly and can't handle his alcohol. Now, I look at that person as a general statement here and go, well, why does he feel the need to drink into oblivion every time he drinks? To me, that's a red flag. And I go, hey, man, are you okay? Like, what's going on? Are you, are you good? So if you can integrate that into it and he then becomes a guy who opens up, talks about his things, goes, you know what? I am struggling, whatever. Or even if he's not and he just has that culture in him or that those behaviors, you can hold him accountable to a higher standard and say, mate, don't drink that much. Like, come on, let's let's have a good time. And you shift his behavior to then he's the best guy in your group who mm. knows when to stop drinking. You love going out with him. You love having a drink with him. You do have those conversations versus the guy who gets blackout drunk every Saturday night and tries to fight someone and you're like, fuck, are we really going to invite Davo to the drinks? Like, do we really want that here? You know, so you have empathy for the guy and you go, well, maybe he's dealing with something. Let's have these conversations. And we keep the, the mate, I love going for a beer. Like, who doesn't, you know? Mm. So um, it's really important to have that balance aspect. Um, and I also think to con- almost contradict myself a little bit here, I've never I, do it, under- I do it all the time. I think life's a yeah. game of nuance. So I think, yeah. 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 And, and discernment. And discernment think, is the key word there. Yeah. I think if you know that on a Sunday morning, you're going to wake up and feel depressed and anxious after drinking, my strong, strong recommendation is that you don't drink. And Wayne Schwass talks about it. I've heard him speak multiple times and he doesn't drink anymore. 
played professional footy, loved a beer. He does not drink for that fact that on Sunday morning, he wakes up and he feels absolutely rubbish. His mental health is horrible. His mental illnesses kick in. He's depressed and anxious. There are so there are a very high percentage of people that will, and I get it. Like I'm not saying you're an idiot for doing it. I understand there's a very strong desire to drink on a Saturday night for connection and social, um, for those social aspects and to feel like you belong. The way to combat that or the way to, to not feel that strong desire is to start to cultivate social skills outside of drinking and to cultivate social um, events that don't include drinking. Because we all want connection. We all, that is our in that inherent psychological like need for belonging. And so if our friendship group, again, only provides that sense of belonging and friendship and connection on a Saturday, Friday night, and it's the only time you can connect, even if you wake up Saturday, Sunday morning and you feel like absolute rubbish, you will reason it for a very good reason, mind you. I'm not coming from a place of like, how do you do this? Like, it's a good reason. You want to connect. So you're going to go and drink versus a friendship group who says, mate, don't feel the need to drink where we are going to have a few beers Friday, Saturday night. We're going to go out to the nightclub, whatever, but also Saturday morning, we're going to make sure at 9am we're going to go for a run and then we're going to have a coffee afterwards. So if you don't feel like having a drink Friday night, we'll just see you Saturday morning. Awesome. I don't have to feel shit Saturday morning and I can go Saturday morning to, to breakfast um, and have coffee with my mates. Cause that's what mm. I want to do. Right. So I think, there's that aspect too, where you have to take into account what you value most. And for most of us, what we value most is our social connections. Like that's the majority of us are going to want to value that the highest. And so what we can do is we can get that elsewhere. If those social connections come at the expense of our mental health, if I go out and drink and I feel like rubbish on a Saturday morning, or even if I'm an entrepreneur and I need my Friday night to continue working on my business and trying to build and I can't waste a Saturday morning being hung over. Like it doesn't necessarily have to just be about mental health and mental illnesses, right? I need, but I still need that social connection. I can't sit in front of my computer for 12 hours a day, seven days a week, 365. I need to get out and hang out. Yeah. So understanding your values and then being able to put them on a value, what's called a value hierarchy. And then you can hack that viral hierarchy by saying, if, if I don't value health, but I value my family really well, right? I can say I'm going for a run for my family. And that's how you have to value hierarchy. So your family becomes number one. Health is number 10, even number 10. But I know that health needs to get higher. I can run because I'm doing it for my family. All right, that's going to motivate me to go and run. Hmm. Same thing with any other aspect of your life. If you understand your values, you can hack it and go, okay, well, I'm not going to drink Friday night because I really value my mental well-being, but I value social connections and my friends. So I'm going to make sure that I catch up with them some other time during the week where I don't have to drink or I don't have to do something that's at the detriment of myself. Mm. Yeah, mate. Um, I feel like we are slowly, but surely as a, as a, um, you know, species <laughs> moving in the right direction. Um, I hope so, mate. I'm, I'm struggling at the moment to think that. <laughs> well, I mean, outside of the bloody pandemic, but I think the conversations people are having are moving in the right direction. Um, I think and it's in large part to people like yourself. Um, and let me mention the other guys there. Um, just to kind of round things off, mate, for a couple of things. Firstly, 
give us uh, sort of, I guess, some final tips for everyone listening to start implementing to, to get a more balanced, a more fulfilled life. We've spoken about a few of them already. We sort of touched on meditation, yeah. um, you know, the right diet, things like that. So what, uh, what does a good day look like for you from everything from your psychology to your nutrition to everything in between? Yeah, I think um, habit and structure, the more and more that I experiment with it myself, I'm like freedom for me is massive. Like I don't like, like to me, structure and discipline have always equated to like shackles. And I think that's and like, hey, you know, oh, I have to do this. I have to do that. But the more I read, the more I listen to thought leaders in the space, the more it's the opposite. Structure and routine will give you freedom because if I have a day where I know what it looks like, or at least I know where parts of it, so morning and nighttime routines are big, right? We all have work and we all have life. So our middle of our day is going to vary massively. But if I can structure my day in a day that I want to have, where I get up and I want to do the things that I have laid out before me and balance that with the responsibilities that you have to do right how do you create a day where you are excited to get up and do the things that you have to do balanced in with those responsibilities that you must do work maybe it's exercise if you don't enjoy exercising um, etc so i mean my morning routine is very much around health because if i don't do anything else for the rest of the day at least i've meditated at least i've exercised at least i've um done those things that really invigorate me but they also set me up for the best day possible if i have a really good morning routine my the rest of my day is really good if i sleep if i and it doesn't start in the morning your day starts the night before because if i want to get up early i need to be in bed early right if i want to set my alarm for 5 30 i'm not going to sleep at 12 because i tell you what happens when i set my alarm for 5 30 i go to sleep at 12 I am not getting up. I'm hitting the snooze button. I'm resetting my alarm and I'm getting up at seven, eight, nine. So you have to put in place these small, if they're sacrifices, call them sacrifices, but they're going to add up and they're going to give you what you ultimately want, right? Which is long-term. You we have to think long-term rather than short-term because everything short-term comes easy and at a cost, whereas everything long-term comes really difficult and at a cost as well. Every, like everything has its price and you, you have to sacrifice something. So to end it out, like really have the internal conversations with yourself. If I eat this cheeseburger now, what's it going to cost me? Well, it's going to feel good, but at the end of the cheeseburger, I'm going to be disappointed in myself. So it's going to cost my self-esteem. It's also going to cost me the goals that I've set in place to lose weight or to feel good, right. Or to, you know, perform better at work because a cheeseburger is not going to give me the nutrients I need to perform better at work. So have the internal dialogue around what these decisions are costing me and what it, cause every decision is going to cost you. Right. So, and then for the ones that are difficult, that are costing you short term, but giving you the gratification long term, Go, well, if I stay in Friday night and I don't go out and drink, what's that's going to cost me? It's going to cost me my social connections. But what is it going to give me? Well, it means I'm going to keep the promise to myself that tomorrow morning I'm going to get up early and work out. That feels pretty good. I'm going to be able to function for the majority of tomorrow and I can, you know what, I can go to the beach tomorrow then. I can go and I can 
you know, get that chore done that I've been putting off. So mm. your internal conversations, again, coming back to that, are going to drive, are going to drive your decision making. And if you can, you can have the internal dialogue and the self awareness of what do these decisions actually have, how do these decisions actually impact my life? It's going to be really um, beneficial long term and mm. short term, short term and long term. It's going to be really beneficial. And yeah. I think getting there's a stigma in around men. I I see Blake. Genoa working a lot with women. I women tend to reach out more and want to work with coaches, etc. Men work with coaches. Go out and find people. If you realize that you're struggling in a certain area, go and find someone that you like, that you resonate with, and work with them. Like go and pay someone to work with them. Because it might cost you three thousand dollars for a 12-week program or whatever for 10 weeks of mentoring. But the value it's going to give in the long run for you to remove even one limiting belief or for you to get healthy or for you to make one change in your life, it's going to last you a lifetime. So it might cost you money and it might cost you outlay, but it's going to um, benefit you massively. And I think, because I think back to myself, again, everything comes back to myself, my own journey. And I didn't want to do any of that because it was ego. I'm not broken and you're not like, you're not broken. I'm not broken. I don't need to be fixed. I don't need, there's nothing wrong with me. Like people who seek help have something wrong with them. Flip it on its head. I want to be the best version of myself. So I'm going to seek out experts to make me better. That's the narrative. Yeah. I That's like the that. narrative right there, right? You're not broken, but we can all be better. My, I'm working with coaches. Blake's working with coaches. Genoa's working with coaches. We coach other people and we're getting coached ourselves because at the end of the day, I don't have all the answers. Blake doesn't have all the answers. Genoa doesn't have all the answers but we have answers that we can give you and we're also looking for more answers ourselves. So mm. break down your ego. Like I, it, it was funny. I was at a, my parents were on a retreat in uh, Fiji and dad got up and in front of 200 business men and women, he said, you're not that fucking important. Like you're, you're not like who the fuck do you think you are? And he said that, Oh my God, dad, you can't <laughs> there. like, come on, chill, man. Like, yeah. savage. but it's true. Like we, we really have this like ego around ourselves of like, we are amazing, cool people. We've got all our shit together. And the same narrative we're running is, well, I'm not worthy. I'm like, I'm not like, we have all these negative beliefs running on top of the ego. So I think it's, I think it's really important in that. Like, who do you think you are? Like, like even my, like, and I ask myself these same questions. Like who, who do I think I am? Like I mm. need to go out there and I need to read books and I need to listen to podcasts. And I need to, like I need to go and do podcasts like this to then get your perspective, Liam. Like I want your perspective on me so that I can become better. Yeah. And again, everything everything's so synergistic of what we've talked about today where I even look back to the first time I went into public speaking and I've spoken now a couple of dozen times. I look back on the first time I spoke and I'm like, Dan, that was bad. Like I'm embarrassed. But if I didn't take that first step, I wouldn't have done the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth to where I am now today where I can versus where I first was confidently speak about things that I'm passionate about, mm. right? But I needed to take that first step. So take the first step as scary as it is and ask for help, even if it's your mates that you start having the conversation, even if it's a psychologist, whatever it is, a coach, whatever, your dad, your mom, a friend, a brother, someone you trust, just start to say, hey, I don't have all the answers. Where are the answers? Like be really curious and do it to be better. Curiosity is so crucial. And I love uh, that you said, you know, approach it from like, 
um, I'm not broken, but like, how can I just improve? Like, I feel like neurochemistry is the fucking game we're playing, right? It's feeling a certain way. Everything else is just strategy. Like everything we're talking about is just yeah. ideas and, t- and ways to kind of feel a certain way. Um, yeah. But that's a forever evolving process. So yeah. to fall in love with learning, that's what I'm getting. That's what I'm hearing you say is like, hey, like I'm reading this and listening to that. I'm having this conversation. You're always like picking apart different things and then kind of filtering it through what's going to work yeah. for you. And yeah. you're right. Like, I think that, we are, look, we are moving in the right direction, but I think there are still worlds away from where we can be as a, you know, as a larger community in terms of valuing learning for all yep. the right, for the right reasons, valuing, yep, exactly. continually evolving to, you know, just feel so secure in ourselves and then still keep connection, but not make dumb decisions and yep. sort of have, have this, you know, really well-balanced life, which is obviously what, you know, what you're all about. Yeah. The way I look at it is imagine if you got picked for your under 12 state football team and then right then and there you go, well, I don't need to get better at football. I made the state team. You're 12. Like that's how I look. Even if you got, let's say you got drafted number one yeah. to play AFL. And then you were like, I got drafted number one. There's nothing more I need to learn about football. You like, and, and every single person listening to this would go, well, you're crazy. Right. But the vast majority of people do the same thing with life. They finish high school, they finish college and they go, my learning's done. And it's like, man, do you know how much, like there's so much stuff out there. Like there's so many interesting things and conversations you can be having and, yeah. and people that live on the opposite side of the world that have had experiences you couldn't even dream of that we now have the opportunity through our phone, through technology. Right now I'm in Hawaii, you're in Melbourne, like to have conversations and learn and go, wow, that's so interesting. Like yeah. I, that's just interesting and I can learn, I can grow as a result. So I think it's such a great conversation to have is just, and that's growth mindset versus fixed mindset. You know, it's having that growth mindset of I'm choosing to, to not belittle myself and say, I'm a dumbass and I know nothing, but to understand that, Hey, there's very little that I know. So let me go out there and know more. Yeah. Yeah. It's an exciting process. Hey, uh, where can people connect with you, mate? Where have you got socials? Uh, I'll try and get my tech team to put it up on our little thing here. So yeah. where can people reach out to you and, um, yeah. Uh, my, I'm heavy on Instagram. So Dylan dot ruse, um, is my Instagram handle, Facebook, Dylan ruse, um, LinkedIn, any business professionals, Dylan ruse, um, my website, um, Dylan ruse coaching.com. There's some free resources up there for you guys, a self-awareness tool, uh, a morning routine generator, all free, um, and a habit, a habit tracker or a habit stacker, I think it is. So there's a bunch of free resources up there mm. uh, to connect with me as well. So it's good stuff. Um, so yeah, anyone, anyone watching, listening, be sure to check it out, mate. It's been fun. I appreciate mate, you coming at the you. time. That was awesome. Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you did enjoy it, if you got some sort of value from the episode, please do us a favor and subscribe to the channel. We've got lots more to come and share it with your friends and family. It all helps our mission of raising a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So please share the podcast and I look forward to sharing more with you on another episode.